we're going to jump right into the message. As I said earlier, we're done with Luke, and uh, we're going to do some thematic messages, at least for a couple of weeks here. And um, I imagine some of you were surprised that in the middle of a pandemic, in fact, um, I checked it today, there are 109 uh, million worldwide cases of coronavirus and about two and a half million deaths. Um, but that that's the physical toll, the economic toll. I just checked this out on uh, USC News, um, University of Southern Cal, as, as coronavirus infects, infections spread throughout America, a USC study projects that the country stands to lose three trillion to four trillion in gross domestic product over the next two years. So uh, there's physical pandemic, economic disaster. There's uh, political tension. In fact, I turned on the TV yesterday, and there was a. Believe it or not, there was another impeachment going on, and I'm like, ah, do I want to watch this or world's funniest videos? That the the country is just divided, um, and some of you may have been surprised that in the midst of it, why is Pastor Brian encouraging people to read this book on happiness? Is this just stick your head in the sand like an ostrich and and pretend to be happy? No, there's a little more more strategy to it than than this. It's not just uh, don't worry, be happy. But um, of of all the things that we are called to do as Christians while we're on this planet, the number one task that we have is, and you should know this if you were there last Sunday because we finished up Luke, where Jesus gave the Great Commission. And Luke has the Great Commission, and Matthew has the Great Commission, and Mark has the Great Commission. Here in Matthew, the Great Commission is, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. We're supposed to be uh, bringing others to Christ, right? Now, um, in our effort to bring others to Christ— this verse is very primary, 1 Peter 3.15. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense. And, and we've talked about this before. The word defense is the word for, uh, it's the Greek word apologia, from which we derive apologetics. The whole concept of being able to explain the gospel and defend the gospel um, so so people who love evangelism and apologetics, this is this is their verse. But look at, go on, go on with the rest of the verse. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. The assumption here is you need to know how to explain the gospel and defend the gospel because people are going to tap you on the shoulder and go, what is it about you 
that in the midst of COVID and crisis and political turmoil, there seems to be a hope that gives you a different countenance than everybody else. That's all tied into this verse, right? If we're no different than the rest of the weary, angry, defeated world, why would anybody tap us on the shoulder and go, hey, what, what is it with you? Why are you so different? In fact, I, I would go so far as to say this. Our joy is not a trivial matter. In fact, other than the gospel itself, it's our primary weapon in advancing the kingdom of God. So, uh, the study of happiness or the study of joy in the Lord is not a stick your head in the sand. It's actually a strategic evangelistic. Um, it, we're, you, we're doing it for strategic reasons beyond just evangelism, though. Okay. We're to worship with joy. We are to witness with joy. We're to go to work with joy. So, uh, the, the title of this little series is going to be Ode to Joy, all right? Now, um, before I even launch into anything, I thought of five risks um, that, that I may run into in talking about joy or happiness in the Lord. So, um, th this is kind of a, a quick little intro before we get into two points, okay? Five risks of talking about joy or happiness. One is I run the risk of irritating you. Um, I'm reminded of, of uh, this is one of my favorite Proverbs, because I am not a morning person. And Proverbs 27, 14 says, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Um, <laughs> so um, I remember when I used to, I now I teach a, a class at Moody in the afternoon, but I used to teach an eight o'clock class, which required me to get up at five and get in the car and drive to a train station and freeze and then get on the train and then do a switch to the L and then walk um, and then I would get to Moody, and if I'm going to teach, I'm going to get a free meal out of it. So I would go to the cafeteria at 7, 7.30 in the morning, and it was very quiet. Except there was always this one student who I call him the happy whistling student. And he would come in just to whistling. He was whistling hymns, all right? It was all, all the classic hymns. I knew them all. But I think everybody just wanted to strangle the guy, okay? So, so I know what it's like um, to have happiness forced upon you. And I want to try to avoid being irritating. Like, come on, everybody, just be happy. And I, I am aware that not everybody's here. Not everybody is in a happy place, and I don't want to um, irritate you into it. Okay, I remember on our honeymoon, we went to Disney, 
and the jungle boat cruise. Now we had been walking around all day long. I am not, I'm not a morning person and I'm not a heat person. It had to be 110 degrees. I was hot and we went into the jungle boat cruise and I just kind of looked exhausted. And the guy on the microphone uh, says, Hey, you in the blue shirt, smile. You're at Disney world. And the whole boat turns and looks at me. And I found that rather irritating. So um, I know I run the risk of, of uh, irritation. Another risk would be guilt. Some of you are already guilty. Just talking about happiness or joy because you're going, yeah, that's, uh, that's not me. Um, Guilting people into happiness doesn't work any more than irritating them into happiness. Now, if you feel uh, convicted by the Holy Spirit, by, by the way, the difference between the Holy Spirit and Satan, Satan condemns, the Holy Spirit gently convicts. Now, if you feel convicted, that's a good thing. Okay, but the goal is not to pile guilt on people so they put on a fake smile. Okay, third risk hypocrisy. Um, I'm the deliverer of the message, but I, by nature, uh, and some of you may say, but Pastor Brian, you look, you look happy all the time, but I actually have more of an introspective, um, introverted personality. Um, I can struggle with depression. I can struggle with anxiety. Um, but um, preachers, I, a lot of preachers that are, are uh that have have made a mark in the world, like Spurgeon. Spurgeon struggled with deep bouts of depression. Luther struggled with depression. Um, so much so that his wife, Katie, dressed up one day in black and went in to talk to him. And he said, who died? And she said, from the looks of you, God died. Um, <laughs> so she did a little guilting into happiness. Um, Adoniram Judson, the great Baptist missionary, went into a dark night of the soul where he almost lost his mind. Of course, he was tortured, and um, but but he went into depression. Uh, hymn writer William Cowper, virtually insane. Um, the Apostle Paul in Second Corinthians talks about God who comforts the downcast. And the word downcast means the, the depressed. He said, the God who comforts the downcast comforted us. In other words, even Paul go, went through valleys of being downcast. So um, I, I'm not claiming to have mastered all of this. In fact, I am a fellow seeker of joy and happiness with you. Okay. Fourth risk would be um, those who who say happiness isn't that close to the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel says, accept Jesus and you'll be healthy, wealthy, and happy. Now, 
here's the difference between the prosperity gospel and the real true gospel. In the prosperity gospel, God is just a means to the end of wealth or health or happiness. Okay. In the true gospel, God is not just the means, He is the end. He is the treasure. Right. So, um, in fact, that's that's the fine line between um, idolatry, but between uh, worshiping happiness or worshiping um, any good gift God gives us, making that ultimate. Okay, that's idolatry versus being ultimately happy in God and receiving his happiness and receiving his good gifts as gifts from him, but ultimately our focus is on him. So, um, no, the focus that a guy like Piper or a guy like um, Randy Elkhorn places on happiness, this is not the happy, this is not the health, wealth, happiness gospel. It's the true gospel but having God as the fulfillment, all right. Last, and and uh, we'll have we'll have a short, short little discussion time afterwards, and we can we can kind of iron that out and make sure we all understand what that is. And then um, fifth point, holiness. Somebody might say, "Well, why focus on happiness? God is only concerned about holiness." Well, um, be careful. Be careful, because the joyless, miserable Pharisees would say the same thing. They were anything but happy, and they would say they were just preoccupied with holiness. And if you remember, um, the, uh, the older brother in the prodigal son represents the Pharisees, if you look at the context. And after the prodigal returns home, the father runs after him and embraces him, and they have a party. They have a celebration. And the older brother hears it, and he goes, what's going on here? And the servant says, oh, your, your, your brothers come home, and they've killed the fatted calf, and we're celebrating the return of your brother. And this is what it says about the Pharisee slash older brother, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him and, and pleaded with him, okay? Um, the father says, come on in and celebrate, and here's how the older brother answers the father. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving, and the NIV says slaving, it's the word doulos, um, duleo, so it, it, it is legit to, to translate it slaving. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. The older brother, who is the Pharisee, is being portrayed as at least thinking that he's all about obedience. But what's missing? Joy. He has no joy in his obedience. 
right? Um, so here he's angry. Here he's obedient but joyless. And then what does the father say? But we had to celebrate and be happy because your brother was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he has been found. Put it all together. Um, holiness and happiness cannot be separated. They are united together. Okay. Now, here's, here's what I'm going to do. Um, I was going to have a three-point sermon, and uh, I'm going to have mercy on you and just have two points. Okay, two simple points, and I'm going to call these um, foundational truths that we're going to build everything else upon, okay? And they're so simple, yet I wonder if some of us um, do not have these two foundational truths in our minds and in our hearts, okay? Foundational truth number one is this, God is happy, okay? God is happy. If you probe inside the head of a uh, depressed, joyless person, and by the way, there are many causes of depression. Some of them could be chemical. Some of them could be personality type. Some of them could be legitimate grief. Okay. So I, I'm not, I'm not uh, trying to minimize the pain of depression, but let's talk about just a chronically, uh, chronically down person. If you probe in their head and in their heart, you are probably going to discover that some significant person in their life Maybe a parent, maybe the parent's even dead now, but it could be a parent, could be a spouse, could be a coworker, could be a boss, that, that some significant person is an unhappy, critical, negative person. And that person's influence upon them contributes greatly to their, their negativity. I think I've read many times before the the little article that Doug Doug Wilson Douglas Wilson wrote about the angry man, and um, he he says that the angry man, even when he's not in the middle of an explosion, his family is living on the edge of the volcano. So whether he's exploding or at a time of peace, they're always on edge. Now, if this is true of a person in our lives, that their disposition can affect our disposition, just imagine how much influence God's disposition, okay, or what, or, or what we think God's disposition is. Uh, just imagine how much our view of God's disposition has upon us. Some of you have seen this A.W. Tozer quote, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Okay. Now, while some people have an overly light view of God, and if that's you, you need to, you, you need to read 
the holiness of God by R.C. Sproul and uh, be reminded of the holiness of God and the justice of God and, yes, the wrath of God, okay? So some people have an overly light view of God. Other people have an overly grim view of God, okay? Um, Some people, some Christians will say, I've grown up in the church my entire life. I've heard about God's holiness. I've heard about God's judgment. I've heard about God's omniscience. I've even heard about his, his love. I've never heard that he's happy, though. Never heard that God, one of his attributes, is his happiness. So here's a question. Can you think of a verse that talks about the happiness of God? It's, uh, it's kind of tough because um, not all verses are translated uh, today. Okay, they're translated with kind of archaic language, but let me show you a couple verses here. 1 Timothy 1.11, Paul talks about the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. And then at the end of the letter, um, he, he gives a benediction. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Um, blessed, makairos, can be translated happy or joyful. It's, it's really, it's the same word in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are persecuted and so forth. Um, it's not saying God who is blessed by God Okay, that's not what blessed means. Blessed means happy, joyful. Okay. In uh, the parable of the talents, have I ever preached on the parable of the talents? What is the reward of the guy who starts with five and the guy who starts with two? They double their talents. And the master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. So there's there's a verbal attaboy. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. And there's some kind of a reward. I I don't know what it is. But then look at this. Enter into the joy of your master. I mean, isn't the ultimate uh, reward that we get to be with God, with Jesus, and they are joyful in... um, Psalm 1611, David says, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, um, if God is not the pleasurable one, if he's not happy, then this is a picture, I almost picture uh, a grumpy bartender who you go up to the bar and he pours you a glass of joy, and in his right hand is joy, but he himself is not joyful. That, is that really what David is saying? He's saying, no, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore, and there's fullness of joy because you are joyful. All right? God is happy. Now, um, This may pertain to some of you, it may not to to others. There's a doctrine, when you study the attributes of God, 
called the impassibility of God, okay? And even if you've never heard of the impassibility of God, you may have been influenced or taught by pastors and theologians and speakers and authors who have been taught about the impassibility of God. The impassibility of God simply states this, God is without passions, okay? In its most basic form, God is without passions. Now, um, we need to explain what that really means and what it doesn't mean. It can't mean that God has no emotion, but that's what it's been taken to mean, that God is just this emotionless uh, computer in the sky. So, of course, you've never heard of the happiness of God because he's passionless. Well, um, let me let me read J.I. Packer on impassibility, okay? Packer, who wrote Knowing God, um, impassibility means not that God is unfeeling, but that no created being can inflict pain, suffering, and distress on him at their own will. Insofar as God enters into suffering and grief, it is by his own deliberate decision. He's never his creature's hapless victim. God is not a stranger to joy and delight. His joy is permanent, clouded by no involuntary pain. That's helpful. What, it, what it's saying is, yes, God is, uh, is very emotional, okay? But he chooses to enter into emotion, and that choosing to enter into emotion points to a higher state of him never being rattled by his creatures. Um, best analogy I can think of, Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus. Jesus wept. Now, some people would say, well, that had to be fake because he's impassable. No, it wasn't fake. I don't think Jesus went around pretending. But we do know, if you read the text, that Jesus purposely stayed away from Bethany. And I, I think he stayed away to let Lazarus die. So he could then raise Lazarus from the dead. And there would be great rejoicing. It would point to him as the resurrection and the life. But on one plane, you've got Jesus choosing to enter in to suffering and pain and weeping. On a higher plane, it's all part of a plan. Okay. Let me give you another example. Psalm 2. David writes, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The king of the earth sets, uh, kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. So uh, the, the politicians and the kings of the earth are setting themselves up against God and his anointed. Uh, in this context, the king of Israel, but ultimately pointing to the ultimate anointed, the ultimate Messiah, the ultimate uh, uh, Jesus, right? 
So the kings of the earth say this, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Now, what's God's reaction to these unsubmissive kings? He who sits in the heavens laughs. He's not rattled. Is he emotionless, though? The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. His ultimate state is he laughs at it all. He's, he is in joy. He is in perfect uh, control, yet he chooses to enter into these uh, emotions of wrath and derision. Okay, All that to say, God is a happy God, a satisfied God, and he desires us to be in his presence and experience his joy. Okay? So, point one, and this may change some of you forever, God is a happy God. Right? Point two, God desires ultimate, full happiness in him for his children. Now, I got to admit, I, I, I was going to just simply say, point one, God is happy. Point two, God wants us happy. Then I got to, to overqualifying it. And I, I'm like, well, I don't, I don't want you to think that God just wants you happy. So you're a spoiled brat, do whatever you want. Happiness is the highest value. So I put in, um, God desires ultimate full and ultimate meaning we're, uh, we're going to get this eventually, but not now. You don't get any happiness now. Um, and, and then it's in him. It's not in his thing. So I think I overqualified this. Um, let me explain it though as we go. When people, fall into depression. One of the terrifying thoughts is that I'll never come out of this. There is no hope on the other side because, and here's where they, they have enough theology to go, God is sovereign. If he allowed me to sink this low, maybe it's his sovereign will that I stay here. Okay, the uh, the fear of never coming out of depression continues the depression. And one thing that I wish I had been taught very early on is that God desires his children to be happy. Not that there's never any time to grieve or weep at the tomb of Lazarus, but the overall desire God has for us is happiness. So you go, where, where, would, uh, where would that be? Well, for example, in Matthew 7, Jesus is talking about prayer, talking to God. He says, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good, good things to those who ask him? So notice, notice the train of thought here. He goes, 
I know y'all are a bunch of sinners and you're evil. And, and he's talking to believers here, right? And, and this is this is the uh, the doctrine of depravity that that we have a disposition toward evil. And Jesus says, even though you are evil, you're not that evil. Now there there are some people who have no conscience who abuse their children. Okay, but he's saying the average evil sinner <laughs> isn't that cruel. If your son says, "Hey, Dad, can I have a hamburger?" and you give him a block of wood, you wouldn't do that, okay? So so asking for bread or asking for a fish, I'm hungry, could you feed me? You're not going to give him a stone or a snake to bite him, okay? And this is a how much more so argument. If that is your disposition toward your children, isn't God's disposition toward his children even greater in goodness, right? He doesn't want you stressed out. Where do we see that? Same sermon, chapter six. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? God wants what is best for you. And ultimately... He wants you to be joyful. Where's that? John 15. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, and not just keep my commandments, but everything uh, in the upper room. This is right before Jesus is crucified. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He wants you to have fullness of joy. Now, here's a question. And and we'll 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 end with this, okay? If he wants me happy and he wants me joyful, why doesn't he take all my pain away? Right? If he wants me happy and he wants me joyful, why doesn't he give me what I want? And um, here's, the, here's the answer. He wants us happy in him, not in idols. So sometimes he uses trials and discipline and difficulties to shape us and mature us and lead us back to true joy in him. I think of an illustration I heard. There was a family that was, the, the mom and dad were going to take the kids to a theme park. I don't think it was Disney, but some theme park. And they knew that the, the kids, and they had little ones, would just love it. But outside the, the front gate... Uh, there was a little playground, little beat-up sandbox and a rickety swing set. And the little toddler ran to the, the swing set and, the, and the, the sandbox, and he was playing and having a great time. And it was time to go in. And as they picked him up, he started crying. 
Now, in his mind, they were taking him away from happiness, from joy. In their, in, in God's mind or in the parents' mind, they were bringing him to a greater joy, right? Sometimes we're like that little toddler. We don't see the big picture. And I admit, I don't know. I, I can't see three feet in front of my face. I don't know what, what God is doing. But here's the question. Can you trust him even in your pain that he is a happy God who wants his children to find ultimate joy in him. So let me pray and uh, we'll sing. And then if uh, some of you want to stick around, we can, we can process. All right. Lord, um, I am thrilled that you are a happy God. Yes, you are a holy God. And there are times you are a wrathful God, but you are uh, full of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And uh, Lord, some of us have a wrong picture of who you are and what you want for your children. So I pray, Lord, that you um, would take these truths and uh, reorient our hearts and our minds to know who you are, what you're like, and what your disposition toward us truly is. Lord, I pray for those who may be going through very difficult times, um, that, that they would look to you that you would do a work in hearts and that you would bring a, a deep, settled joy and, yes, even happiness for your glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen.